reading. Uh, so if Rachel, come up, excellent Rachel, uh, go and come up and read the Bible, and then Rob's going to come and give uh, our talk to us. Um, so my name's Rachel, and I'm a fourth-year primary education student, and I'm here to read the Bible for you today. And we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 32, to Acts chapter 5, verses 21. Now the full member of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great, and great grace was upon them all. There were not a needy person <coughs> among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it all at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived the de this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husbands are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That, as Peter came by at least his shadow, might fall on some of them. The apostles, uh, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest and all his associates were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about his new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, 
and begin to taste the paper. Thanks, Rachel. Well, that's a uh, very puzzling account. Spectacular account of the workings and the goings-on in the church in Jerusalem of the Apostles' Day. Prison doors miraculously opening for no good reason. People carrying the sick into the streets so that Peter's shadow might fall upon them as he walked past. Hoping he was a fat man for those people. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple, dropped dead on the spot, three hours apart. Spectacular stuff. Don't know if you're asking to yourself the question that I ask when I read this. Why is this here? Why is this here? I mean, if I was writing the account of Acts, if I was Luke, I would put those things in there. So that's because I'm just given to the, the fantastic and the, you know, just little kid stuff. Sounds great. I'll put it in there. You know, the craft possibilities for the Sunday school are enormous. I'll put it in there. Is that why Luke has included that? This would be great for Sunday school. I've actually seen the craft, by the way, for the Ananias and Sapphira lesson, um, including graves made of styrofoam. But why is God telling us in these chapters about there's some cool stuff that the apostles did. Is that what we're being shown? Is it a moral lesson? This is how you should live. Don't lie, or you will die. And if it is a lesson on <coughs> Christian morality, why don't more people die when they lie? Why don't all Christians who lie, presumably, which is everybody, who calls himself a Christian at some point, lies. Why don't we all just go lie, thump, lie, thump, 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 thump. You can tell the Christians because they're the ones that are falling over everywhere and dying. Is it a lesson? If it is a lesson, perhaps it's not a very good lesson at one level. It doesn't fit the reality that it purports to reflect. Or perhaps it has to do with lying to the apostles. So be very careful how you treat the word of the apostles. Be very careful how you speak to the apostles. Be very careful if you speak to Peter. Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? How are you going? I love your shirt today, Peter. Thump! <laughs> be very careful. How are we supposed to read and understand this? We've heard that Acts is descriptive of what's happened, not prescriptive of what must happen. And so Luke's account of what happened is not a memo to Christians on how to live. But if it is descriptive, what's it descriptive of? What's it still trying to communicate? Why describe these things? And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that we've been looking at the early chapters of Acts. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, mind you, welcome. Great to have you amongst us. Um, glad that you're here couple of weeks into um, looking at this book of Acts, we've noticed, or been told, that Acts is about the now ascended, risen and ascended Jesus 
who is establishing his kingdom on earth, ruling from heaven as the king over all the nations. That's what we're seeing in Acts. Jesus is now ascended and establishing his rule from heaven as king over all the nations. So how does this slaying in the spirit of Ananias and Sapphira fit into that purpose? It doesn't. If you don't read it as part of the chapter beforehand, which it actually belongs to. Remember, if you didn't know, Luke didn't write with chapter breaks. The chapter breaks came much later on, and you only actually need a very quick cursory glance at the text to see that something went wrong with the chapter break. Can anyone pick it up? The classic um, error in English? But, yeah, what's the problem with it? I learnt that at school. You don't start a sentence with but. It starts a whole chapter with but. Um, well, Luke didn't start the chapter. Whoever broke it up did. Yeah, so you need to understand the previous chapter and how it fits together with this narrative of... Well, we'll see what it says. I'm going to lead us in prayer that we might be able to understand it. This is God's word to us. And uh, if you... Uh, Give it the prayer, then you can say amen if you agree with the prayer. Lord, thank you for your word that you've given us today from the hand of Luke. Lord, we pray that we would hear what you have to say to us and to be able to respond rightly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have a look at from verse 32 onwards. That's the first part of what you've got there. You can do this with the person next to you if you like, uh, or just on your own if you prefer. Um, What are some of the connections you you can see with that verse 33 through to 37, that first part, and then from that 5 onwards, uh, you can maybe just down to verse 6 of that. Just have a quick look and pick out what are any of the connections that you can see between those those two passages. Do you shout about? Remember, we don't have gurus who tell us what God is saying. God's given us His word for us to be able to work that together. Uh, what connections can you see between those two passages? Not too many. I feel like there's a contrast between like Joseph and Ananias. So like Joseph gave everything and Ananias gave only part of his everything. Yeah, so this guy Joseph, who's called Barnabas, gives everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's something else in connection with him as well. Yeah. Good observation. Yeah. I thought it was rather obvious. Joseph, he's a Levite. Interesting. Yeah. Priest of the Angelites. What's the interesting thing in there, Jonathan? Oh, just uh, interesting observation. Oh, interesting observation. <laughs> <laughs> the Levites were the priestly, uh, the tribe clan of the Israelite nation. Yeah. Anything that was repeated between the two passages? Um, any volunteers? Willow, would you like to volunteer? Did you notice anything? Two passages uh, that uh, the seeds of what was sold was laid at the apostles' feet in each. Yeah, 
It's quite the, and also the whole activity of selling the land and giving the proceeds and laying it, laying it at the apostles. It's quite a clear um, uh, repetition uh, of what's happening. The focus here is on what is being done in relation to the apostles and the proceeds of uh, selling of land. In fact, this whole account, indeed, chapters through to here is actually a whole account about the, the new gathering of God's people. The new gathering of God's new people which has been created through the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus that's spoken by the apostles. And so what you have here in both of those little passages is a new people of God's kingdom, with a, with a new heart and a new character, a renewed, uh, a renewed inside being expressed in a new outward action. Because of the spirit-filled leadership uh, and the message that comes with it. And so you can see the things that characterise the gathering of God's people in this new kingdom. Uh, you can see it's things such as generosity. We've already seen that some of these back in chapter two, people giving of giving selflessly and generously of everything that they have. <coughs> some are selling no doubt very expensive properties and handing it all over. Barnabas is one of these. Joseph, who's also called Barnabas, who later on feature big time in this in the book of Acts with Paul. There's sharing such that no one is in need, and in fact, it's resonating what God was saying to Moses back in the Old Testament as the new people of God coming out of Egypt were constituted that in the new land of blessing there won't be anyone who has need. And here you have a little snapshot into a renewed people of God where there's no one who has need. And they all have they have the presence of the powerful testimony of Jesus' resurrection in the apostles and great grace is amongst them and God is amongst them by his spirit. And as his word comes to them through his apostles. And they are unified, in verse 32, with one heart and one soul. They're not a divided people. They're unified. Their renewed character has, brings an integrity of character. There's a oneness of character. But it's also an internal integrity. Or you could say a personal integrity. That is, the inner life of this new people of God must, must match their outer actions, or their outer actions must match their new inner life. And so in these foundational, day, foundational days of the new kingdom of God, when it's breaking in, when Ananias and Sapphira lie in their heart, their heart inwardly does not match their outward profession. And there is no place for that amongst God's people. They didn't have to give everything. They weren't required to. Peter said it was at your disposal to do whatever you wanted with. But you've conspired to lie. Hypocritically, you've given away that you've given all of it when actually you've kept some of it for yourself. And so your outer actions don't match your inner heart. 
And so, there's no place for that amongst God's people. For people in God's new kingdom, there's no distinction between the public and the private when it comes to moral integrity. And so it continues amongst God's people today. And it is somewhat of a change from the old kingdom of God, the Old Testament people of God. And you see it in such passages as the Sermon on the Mount, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus sees the Old Testament law focused in on the inward. And so Jesus says things like, you have heard it said, do not murder. It's an external action. Most of the Ten Commandments are external actions, all but one. Jesus says, but I say, not do not murder, but if you hate your brother in your heart, then you have committed murder. Jesus points to the fact that actually the law is an internal thing. It's meant to be internal. And in the new kingdom of God's people, there's no place for thinking one thing in your heart and doing another in your action. There's no place for pretending to be something on the outside but not actually working and doing something on the inside. There's a moral integrity which is necessary. And all sorts of issues amongst um, uh, Christian uh, gatherings and churches and the way we organise ourselves. We do lots of things such as um, uh, alcohol, for example, the misuse of alcohol. We want our leaders uh, who lead God's people to teach God's word, whether it's children or whether it's adults or in churches. We want people to be uh, proper users of, or not misusers of alcohol such that if you are given to drunkenness, then you shouldn't be, it's not appropriate for you to be a leader of God's people. Uh, and it's not okay to say, well, I drink and get drunk at home, in private, when no one else is there. That's, it, you know, there's an integrity of life that's required, such that that matters. That matters. No one else may know. God knows. What God requires is integrity. So we'd say our prayer our leaders, it's not right that you drink and get drunk, whether at home or in public. Now, you will know that that's true. Well, many of you will know that's true. But it's quite different to the way the world works, isn't it? The university does not care if you're an alcoholic. And they don't say, you can't enrol here and do study because you're an alcoholic. No, they, they might care for you at some level personally if that was ever to come up as an issue related to your studies and so on and so on. It's not a requirement. Your employer won't ask you, and probably is not allowed to ask you, with good reasons, whether you misuse alcohol. Uh, if you teach in the Department of Education, teaching early childhood through to year 12, you're not required to, be, um, to not misuse alcohol. Just, you, just, you're just not allowed to use it in front of children or at school or bring it to school. And so there is this separation of the private from the public, which is appropriate in, in society, but which is not appropriate amongst God's people. There's a, there needs to be integrity of life. In God's new kingdom, our hearts are renewed, not just to our actions. Our whole person is being shaped into people who are like our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
same. If that is you, by the way, whether it's alcohol or whatever it might be, take action. Don't hide it. Don't hide your your actions in, in private and think that no one knows or it doesn't matter. That's the, the lie of Satan, is to think that you don't have to have any integrity of life from public to private, but don't hide it. Seek repentance and seek forgiveness. In fact, that's one of the great messages that comes through on Peter's lips later on in this chapter, where he says to the leaders who are um, opposing them, God exalted Jesus at, at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's one of the great things. You don't have to hide the fact that you actually have a problem in different areas of life. You can actually say, so freely and openly admit it and receive forgiveness and, and seek repentance. That's you. Don't hide it. Seek repentance and forgiveness to whoever it is that you're responsible for. We need to be people who are like Christ and ready to receive forgiveness. Well, one of the other things, I'm down to point two. These are the last, these the next two points are nothing as long as the first one. The other thing that's happening in this episode is we're being shown the importance of the 12 apostles as the new leaders of God's people. And so if you look at verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving great testimony to the Lord Jesus and great grace. Verse 35, they received the gifts from the people to be able to distribute. Uh, down in chapter 5 and verse 3, um, Peter seems to have sort of supernatural knowledge of what's happening inside Ananias' heart. Um, it's not so much that he can see into his heart, but rather that he speaks on God's behalf. I think that's what it is. He speaks on God's behalf and condemns him. Uh, and so he says that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. So Peter speaks on behalf of the Spirit. And Peter's condemnation of Ananias is backed up by action from the Lord. Ananias drops dead. Um, and Peter's authority, I think, is further reinforced by the reaction to that. What's the reaction we see? Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. And just in case you thought maybe it was a fluke, that happens again three hours later with Sapphira, his wife, who comes in and Peter accuses her again and she falls down dead. And it's rammed home, take two, to show that it wasn't a fluke. And again, verse 11, great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. You've got this focus on the, the new leadership of God's people. And notice, too, you might notice, it's not a small thing, the way that the people here are described. They are the church. And great fear came upon the whole church in verse 11 of chapter 5. This is the first time the word church is used of the gathering of people. You might think, hey, that's exciting. Um, but the word church is an exciting word. It's used of the, in the Old Testament of the gathering that God creates when he saves his people out of Egypt with great signs and wonders. And what have we been seeing throughout Acts? 
the testimony of Jesus who has saved his people, a new salvation of his people, a <coughs> salvation of his people through the death and res- resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great signs and wonders. And here they are being constituted as the church led by the apostles. It's no small thing. And the apostles are reinforced as God's leaders, God's people in his new kingdom. Notice too, uh, unlike the old kingdom with Moses and the elders, if you do know anything about them from the Old Testament, Peter's not the one who puts the wrongdoer to death. You may have read some of the Old Testament passages. uh, For those that are particular situations, they're Moses and and the leaders actually (coughs) to stone the people, actually take action to remove the sin from the nation. Peter doesn't take executive action on Ananias and Sapphira. He just brings the word of God. God takes the executive action. And I think it's too much to conclude from here that it's instructive of what some of the differences that are going to be in God's new people, the church, and how the leadership operates compared to the other. And then keep reading the New Testament to see how that pans out. But also, the apostles are not just known for their message in the church, they're also known for their signs and wonders. Verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, it's not that the signs and wonders are now the norm for the church. You know, that's what we should expect in every age. Get somebody with a big shadow to walk past people that have done well, and they'll be well. But rather, here you have an affirmation of this new leadership of God's people, of doing the signs and wonders, these great acts of salvation, signifying, the signs signify, the position of these apostles in the church and what God is doing through them. Uh, it's, a, it's God's way of affirming their leadership with these spectacular things that no one can deny. They're massive things. But notice also, for as visible, blatantly, obviously, and powerful as they are, they get a paragraph. I don't think I'd write a paragraph. I think I'd describe what happened. Yeah, I'd be writing tomes of what happened to these people. But it's just a paragraph. Because the signs and wonders themselves are not the focus, but rather what they're pointing to, that is God's salvation at work through these men. But today we don't have 12 apostles constituting the new leadership of the church. What do we have? Maybe have a quick chat with the person next to you. How would you answer that? Would you like to to answer? Um, Hand up if you are an apostle. Hand up if you are one of the 12. No, we just got to clear that up. Um, yeah, how how is it that we today understand what the leadership of the church looks like? Where are our apostles? In the Bible. They're in the Bible. In the in the full Bible. Okay. Okay. Does anyone else want to throw an answer? That might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
either affirming or denying. Anyone come up with something different? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. <coughs> Stand the Bible. Oh, the Holy Spirit. Can I give it not answer? No, not answer? Yeah, I don't think it's you. I don't think it's the leaders of the church are our replacement apostles. Like, like our um, pastors and ministers. Yeah. And I don't think they're the replacement apostles. Yeah. We've got too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good answers. Very good answers. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Now, what you do see, because it's actually being unfolded as we work through Acts, but there's a consistent focus back to the apostles, not their executive action, not their ongoing succession or dynasty, but their message. But their message. In fact, I, I won't look, get you to um, read it now, but in two, I'll refer you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, the following. 2 Peter 1, verse 12, where Peter says to his readers that he intends to make his message available to them beyond his life as they are after his death. That his message will be able to be remembered, the things that he's told them. This, all of the action in Acts points towards the message of the apostles continuing on, and you see that throughout the rest of the New Testament. Just as a slight aside, it's actually one of the fundamental differences between the Roman Catholic Church and Reformed Protestant churches. Both agree that apostolic authority is necessary. God has appointed apostles to speak his message to the church. The difference is how that comes. So for the Roman Catholic uh, Church, the Pope is the descendant of Peter. He's the successor of Peter. That is where the authority comes from. So he's the Apostle Peter now. So you have to listen to him. The, uh, the Protestant church and the Reformed um, church understand that what God speaks to the 12 apostles, their original message, is actually where the authority of God lies. And so we seek to understand and work hard at the scriptures to understand the apostles' message. Okay, that's where that, where that leads. But what we see here, finally, is something new and different. These chapters are not just affirming the new community of leadership in the message of the apostles, but also contrasting it with the old system, the old temple system that Jesus has just rendered defunct with his death and resurrection. You pick it up very briefly in verses 17, which you can see on your sheet there. Um, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, saying, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Then when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of all the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they reported. They returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. The old temple leaders arrest and imprison God's new leaders. But God 
and his leaders are not confined by prison cells, and God opens the doors. Uh, they don't break out in some miraculously sort of warrior-like assault on the prison. God opens the doors, and the Lord says to them, you do your job. What's their job? Flee. Get out of here. No. Their job is, go to the temple. The temple, the place of God's meeting with his people, and speak to all the people the words of this life. The old system is making an assault on God's new system, but in doing so, it is actually being shown up that it's being dismantled. And you can see some of the contrast that happened between the two. The old system, they are filled with jealousy and they seek to act to kill and imprison. What does God's new leadership do? Well, we know that they're full of generosity and we know that they're full of the word of God. And what does Peter do? He responds by speaking the message to them. Verse 29, you don't have it on your sheets. But Peter, on the next slide, I'll read it. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to you. What do they do in the face of opposition to people who want to kill them? They preach a message of forgiveness and repentance. They don't take retaliation. They repeat the message. And so, they obey God rather than men. They obey God and continue to speak the word with boldness. God, in his plans, are unfordable. God uses the opposition of the old to dismantle the old and shows he's established a new people in Christ with a renewed heart, a renewed, consistent character, <coughs> and dedication to the message of Christ. Let's pray that that might be us too. Father, thank you for showing us uh, your word. And thank you for the message of, that you've given to the apostles and the changed life that that brings to, the, to your people. And we thank you that it brings a change from rejecting you to bring people to follow Christ. Thank you that in Jesus' name there is repentance and forgiveness. Help us to live that out with integrity of character. And help us to make that message known despite opposition. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Laura. I'm a second year art student and I will be praying for us today. I'm praying and talking to God, so if you feel comfortable, please pray with me. Um, dear Lord, we praise you for such a successful weekend away at Onboard. Uh, we pray for all who attended that they can hold on to the messages that they heard from Sam, that they can apply it as, as they get back into uni, and that can be a better understanding uh, of the need for evangelism in uni. We pray for Easter Mission next week. We pray that many will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit will give us courage and wisdom in Walker during our usual faculty Bible studies. 
We pray for the talks happening on Wednesday and Thursday. We pray for the topic, Jesus is worth exploring, that many will hear the gospel proclaimed and will decide to investigate Jesus further. We pray for the Jesus Is campaign this week as they seek to make Jesus known throughout the Sydney and Illawarra area. We pray that through this, many will come to hear the gospel proclaimed and seek him further. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you.